So this morning, if you haven't already noticed, it's going to be a little bit different today. We're going to, I'm going to talk for a little bit, then we're going to go back into a couple songs, and then I'm going to talk a little bit again, and then we're going to take communion together and then get in, get our fiesta on this morning. So um, this morning, I want to talk about the power of Jesus, just the power of the creator and sustainer of all things. And I'm praying that we will all experience it somehow, some way, this morning. In the Gospel of John, we're, we're doing a series where we're, it's called God So Loved, and we're up until Easter, we're going to kind of use the Gospel of John as our, our, our pathway to experience and learn about the life, death, and resurrection and ministry of Jesus and grow closer to Him. We've been reading through the Bible um, most of us, some of, I know we get, you kind of fizzle out sometimes. You can jump right back in wherever you're at if you had, have stopped reading. But we went through all the Old Testament, and then now we're in the, in the, to the New Testament and through the Gospels, and just excited about what God's doing here. But in the Gospel of John, the number seven is a really important thing to John, because the number seven is the number of completion or perfection. And there's plenty of sevens that happen in John's gospel. But this morning, I want to look at the, the seven miracles or the seven signs recorded in the gospel of John and how Jesus demonstrates his power in doing these signs or these miracles to his, for his disciples' faith and for the faith of, of everybody else that was a witness to it. And the first one starts at a wedding. Jesus changes water into wine in a town called Cana. Have I told you I've been to Israel? We went to Cana and we saw the jars uh, we're going to read about that were from the, the, about the time uh, of Jesus, these Jewish ceremonial washing jars. Here's what it says. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Now, that was such a faux pas in that cultural, because to, to run out of wine was just a huge embarrassment to the family. And Jesus' Jesus's mother, Mary, told him, they have no more wine. Jesus responds, interesting. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. And some of the translations just say, woman, that's not our problem. But it's a ter actually a term of endearment. It's not, uh, it's not being a smart aleck. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. She put it back into Jesus' hands there. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies, the wedding coordinator. So the servants, must, servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. 
This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Why did Jesus do miracles? Well, it says it right here. He showed his glory to his disciples. He was showing the disciples, I am the Messiah. I am who you've been waiting for. And let me show you, when God when G- takes on human flesh in the person of Jesus, he was fully God and fully human like us. And to demonstrate God's power, he turns water into wine. And he wants you and I to know who he is as well. As it, we continue on in these seven signs, the next one is Jesus heals a government's official's son in Capernaum in John chapter 4. And we read in that, this account where this government official had heard about Jesus turning water into wine. He knew Jesus had power. And he asked Jesus to come heal his son. And Jesus says something kind of weird and interesting. He says, and you people won't believe unless you see a sign. And it almost sounds harsh, but Jesus is like, why, why can't you see who I am? He's kind of questioning that. But he goes and he heals this guy's son, and he puts his faith in Jesus. He believes. In uh, Romans 8, chapter, Rome, yeah, Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8, verse 11 says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. Same spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the grave dwells in us. Uh, many years ago, in 1996, I was not in full-time ministry or anything like that. I just helped out at the youth group at, at my old church. And they asked me to lead a mission trip to El Salvador. And that's a good thing. My first mission trip, and you get to lead it. <laughs> and, you know, God was really moving. I'll never forget the things that happened on that trip. One thing in particular, when uh, we were in this remote village and very poor outside of San Salvador, and there was this lady who was confined to a, a wheelchair, and her wheelchair was kind of rickety, and, but she, she couldn't walk. And in the, the zeal of our students that were being stirred up by the power of Jesus, they said, let's go pray for her. Let's go pray for her healing. I said, go for it. (laughs) And they went over and they prayed. And I literally saw her stand up and walk who couldn't walk. God healed this woman in front of our very eyes. And do you think that increased the faith of these teenagers? (laughs) Of course it did. A few people in our church were on that trip with me when they were teenagers. And then, then they got old as I got older too. But To see and witness the power of Jesus. Now, this begs the question. Why Why doesn't seem like God always heals? Because we see it through the Gospels. Jesus, when someone asked, he healed. And my answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. But in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul lists out the manifestation gifts of miracles and and healings and where the Spirit's power is active. And he says that he distributes these gifts 
as the Spirit wills. It's, it's in His sovereignty, in His timing, in His way. And it's hard for us to understand that because when you're sick or you need a breakthrough and you need a, you need a, a miracle and it doesn't happen, it's easy to question God, like, what's going on? I, I see you do it in Scripture and I hear about it. And again, I don't know. But here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have faith that he can do it. We're supposed to pray and believe and be prepared, but we leave the how and the when to him. Because none of us possess those gifts in, of healings and miracles. That's the Holy Spirit has those gifts, and he gives them as he wills. If I had the, the gift of healing, then I'd go down to Children's Hospital every day and you know, raise up all those kids. But it's as he wills, and we have to submit to that. Then in John chapter 5, Jesus heals a lame man by the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Been there too. Why does he do this miracle? It says he has compassion. He had compassion on this guy who every day would make his way to the pool of Bethesda. And there was this mystical belief that when the waters swirled, that that was the time to get in the pool and get your healing. And he, Jesus comes to him and says, what's going on here? And he says, well, he kind of feels sorry for himself. And he says, uh, no one ever helps me in the pool when it's time for, for healing. And Jesus says, forget the pool. Stand up and walk. Get up. And the guy stands up and he walks. Jesus didn't need a pool to, to heal him. He sees his, we see his power on display there because he has compassion. And then in John 6, Jesus is beginning to have crowds of people follow him and he has compassion again and he feeds 5,000 people near the Sea of Galilee with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And there was so much left over that there were 12 baskets of food, one for each disciple afterwards. And they were questioning, like, where are we going to get enough food to feed 5,000 people? Jesus, I get it. You're compassionate on their hunger pains, but we don't have enough food. And Jesus says, well, let me show you. And he demonstrates his power there. And then Jesus walks on water at the Sea of Galilee, continuing in John 6. How many know that's a miracle, right? And why did he do this miracle for his disciples? Again, he, he wanted their confidence, their allegiance. And they still didn't get it, uh, but yet they began to see more and more of who he was. So he demonstrates his power there. And then... The sixth miracle is Jesus heals the man who was born blind in Jerusalem. And he shows that he is the light of the world. That physical darkness and spiritual darkness, that he is the light of the world physically and spiritually and, and literally. Years ago at my, my former church, before we planted Novation, we used to have Wednesday night baptisms. And... Uh, one night we were, we were doing baptisms and I was in the, the baptismal tank and uh, they had a, a mic like we do if somebody wants to kind of share a testimony or why they're being baptized. And uh, there was a guy who literally was born blind. He had never seen anything and he always wore sunglasses. And when he got to share why he was being baptized, one of the things he said was, he said, I'm glad and thankful that I was born blind. I've never seen anything. He said, but when I die and cross over, the very first thing I'll see is the face of Jesus. 
And I was blown away. Like I was bawling. I'm baptizing. And I mean, it was, just, it was a, a beautiful, beautiful moment in that. What we're going to do now is we're going to go back into two songs kind of mellow. And I've, we've created a little space over here in the sanctuary for you, if you would like to be prayed over, you need a breakthrough. You need to experience the power of Jesus, the healing, whether it's emotionally, mentally, or a physical healing. You need some sort of breakthrough. We've got some folks that are going to be over there to pray with you and believe God with you for what, you're, what you need in the, de- in the demonstration of the power of Jesus. If you don't feel led to go over and be prayed for during these two songs, that's okay. We're going to stand and we're going to worship and, and just begin to meditate on the power of Jesus for your life and what he's done. And then after we do these two songs, I'm going to finish with Jesus's last miracle in the gospel of John when he raises Lazarus from the grave. So will you, will you stand with me? Us. Those of you that are going to pray with people, you can make your way back over there. And uh, as you feel led during these next two songs, move over and let someone agree with you in prayer. So Lord, as we continue in our service this morning, Holy Spirit, we trust you. We know you're present with us. We ask for your your power to be on display this morning in Jesus' name. Fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born And the vapor of your breath The planets form If the stars were made to worship so alive I can see your heart in everything you've made every burning star a signal fire of grace if creation sings your praises so alive God of your promise You don't speak in vain No syllable empty or void For once you have spoken All nature and science Follow the sound of your voice 
And as you speak A hundred billion creatures catch your breath Evolving in pursuit of what you said If it all reveals your nature so
one measure could amount to your desire. You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're so worthy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. age to age he stands and time is in his hands beginning and the end beginning and the end the Godhead three and one Father, Spirit and Son the Lion and the Lying in the lamb, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Oh, you worthy Lord, in name above. me how great is our God and 
and all will see how great, how great is our God. Just the voices. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Thank you, Jesus. You can sit back down. Jesus started his miracles at a wedding in the Gospel of John, and his last one ends at a funeral. He, Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead in a town called Bethany. And it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because of the things that Jesus says and does, and I take great comfort in it. It says that there was a, a certain man named Lazarus was sick, and he was in Bethany, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, which you might remember reading about. And uh, Jesus is about a two-day walk from Bethany at this point. And somebody comes and brings word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and on his deathbed. And come and, and, and heal him, raise him up. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, this sickness is not, is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. They had a very close relationship. And Jesus does this weird thing and he waits for Lazarus to die. And he gets word that he had died. Now he begins his trek to Bethany. And as he walks into, into where this funeral was going on, back in the, this time and in this culture, a funeral would last two weeks. And uh, we in the West don't get that. Like We want to get that grieving stuff over and done with and out, you know, because we don't do sad very well. But they knew there was something about this grieving process. And it took two weeks, people would come and bring food and sit with the, the grieving family and, and every day. And so this is what's happening here in our scene. And Martha comes to Jesus and he says, she says, oh, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says something profound about her faith and understanding. She said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even when they die. And he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Jesus keeps making his way through the crowd of people, and now Mary, Lazarus' other sister, 
comes to Jesus and she's crying and weeping and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. The Greek for the deeply that we translate into English, deeply troubled, literally means there was an anger that rose up inside of Jesus, in his spirit, an anger, and he was angry at death. He was angry at death. They said, Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And then the shortest verse in all the Bible is John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And it's funny, our son Damien, when he went to Christian school in elementary, they would have to memorize a Bible verse. And uh, this week it was, it was, that week it was Jesus wept. Tough one, right? But he actually made the mistake and said, uh, yeah, Jesus swept. <laughs> No, no, bro. He, he probably did that because he was a servant, but this Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm going to a funeral to raise a guy from the dead. Like I'm going, you guys have no idea what's about to happen. Jesus wept because he is a savior who is so in touch with us and our grief. And when we grieve, he grieves. When you're in a season of grief and sorrow, he is grieving with you. He is an empathetic savior. So it makes him so different than, than any other religion or faith. He's empathetic with us. True, and he's, he's with us. And then Jesus goes and he calls forth Lazarus from the grave. And Lazarus wakes up from the dead. And he comes out of the tomb, and in those, those days, as you know, it happened with Jesus as well. Before they put him in the tomb, they wrap him in grave cloths. And it, it, like Lazarus came out like a, a mummy or something, you know, and he would have had those grave clothes on. And Jesus says, take those grave clothes off of him. And everyone celebrated and had their minds blown, and the fame of Jesus just spread even more. And the religious people said, we got to kill this guy. We got to get him out of here. He's, he's a disaster for what, what, we're, what we're about. Here's the thing about this story here. Like, you can bank on he's the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though they die, they'll live. I remind myself of that verse every time I'm getting on a plane. <laughs> Anybody with me? Like, I, I hate that turbulent stuff. Probably should say it every day I get into a car, right? I mean, you're, you're more, you know, people are more likely to die in donkey-related accidents than a plane crash every year. That's a fact. I don't walk by a donkey and go, ooh, he's the resurrection and the life, though, I, you know. Anyway, I'm way off from where I was supposed to be. <laughs> the difference between Lazarus and, and the little girl that Jesus raised from the dead their resurrection, is they went on to die again. They had to go experience death again. Jesus, when he died and rose again, he rose in his glorified body, the type of body that you and I are going to have at the resurrection. And we're going to live in a world where there's no sin, no sorrow, no death. But when he comes again and recreates the heavens and the earth and, and the resurrection happens. And Jesus will never die. Death has no hold on him. And here is the gospel in a nutshell. By his life, death, and resurrection, 
Jesus defeated the three enemies of every human being that's ever lived. And it's sin, got nailed to the cross. Death, in that he overcame death by his resurrection. Though we die, we live. And he overcame the evil one. He took away the authority and power of the dark spiritual world that influences humanity and the world around us. And so when you and I walk in the light as he is in the light, he says, you'll never walk in the darkness. And I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. I know you do too. We're going to take communion in just a minute. And before, I, before we go into that, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul gives just a, a simple outline here of what the gospel is. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain uh, until now, but some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul was lamenting his persecution of the early church when he says that. More than 500 people saw a guy that had died on a cross be buried, raised to life. Your faith is not built on a feeling or an emotion, it's built on a historical fact that Jesus died and rose again. That's a historical fact that, that our faith is built upon. Work backwards from, from everything else from there. You don't have to have perfect understanding or memorize the Bible. You have a living Christ who is in heaven with the Father. And all who have died in Christ since then, he's coming again one day. And all, what he wants from you and I is relationship. He wants our faith. He wants you and I to agree with him that he's Lord and Savior. You don't make him Lord and Savior by a prayer. You agree with him in faith. You are the Savior. You died for my sins. And you are the Lord. And I want to follow you. I want to put into practice what you say, how to live and what to do. So as we go into communion this morning, I pray that this be experiential for you and, and like never before. That we are, when we take the bread, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. When we take the cup, we're remembering his blood that was shed for us. And by doing it and taking it, you're by faith agreeing with Jesus. We're going to sing All Hail King Jesus, one of my favorite worship songs. And as we're going back into singing, you can make your way up here and, and grab the cup and the bread and take it back to your seat and then when we're done singing All Hail King Jesus, we'll take it together. Our gluten-free brothers and sisters, there's one on each, um, each table for you as well. So we can keep you in mind. So why don't you stand and move and, and, and grab the elements and take it back to your seat.
Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's take the cup Jesus, thank you for your power. Thank you that you overcame our enemies by your life, death, and resurrection. Thank you, Father, that you so loved us that you gave your Son so that we could have eternal life. And we receive that life in you, Jesus, that you are the resurrection and the life. All power is yours. And Lord, I ask that you bless these awesome folks today with a sense and awareness of your presence, of your grace, of your joy in rejoicing over them. Lord, I thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray to live a spirit-filled, fruit-of-the-spirit-evidence life in your power and in your grace. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.